Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Caleb Wojcik with me. Caleb is a filmmaker, podcaster, and online entrepreneur. He co-founded Fizzle, which is a site that helps entrepreneurs become better entrepreneurs. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, George. Thank you for being here. Um, can you tell our audience in your own words what Fizzle is about? So Fizzle started uh, with uh, the person I work with, Corbett Barr, and the other person is Chase Reeves. And the three of us kind of came up with this idea for basically, instead of having a bunch of different products that we were using to teach people how to start their business, we thought, okay, what if we have one place that people pay monthly to get access to, and we release courses every month, in-depth interviews with successful entrepreneurs every month, have a community that can grow because it's people continually committed to growing their business all in the same place. And so that's what Fizzle became back when, uh, back when we started it a couple of years ago. And since then, we have things that are unpaid, like we have a blog about uh, starting a business and as well as our podcast, The Fizzle Show. But the main piece that drives our business is people that pay us monthly to get the training that we create either ourselves or with experts and the community that they are a part of online. And so where did you get the idea for Fizzle? Like for for just like the idea to build the platform, basically? Well, uh, this theme, you know, the the actual theme of your site, you mm-hmm. know, which is, um, you know, base. I mean, I don't want to paraphrase, but kind of a, a a membership community for aspiring ent- entrepreneurs or, or entrepreneurs that want to improve themselves. Right. And so, w- working with Corbett, we he had released some courses um, about you know growing traffic to your blog, doing affiliate marketing, things like that. And then once I started working with him, we started another product that was about starting a blog basically from scratch, like how to buy a domain and install WordPress all the way to like growing your audience from it. So we had these products, we had multiple products and it was like, okay, if you wanted to open up a new class, you had to do a new launch. If you wanted to increase your, your, your revenue or whatever, then you have to, you know, launch again and everything. So Basically, what we decided was, okay, how can we not have to launch things? And how can we also, instead of having people you know, buy a product, get really excited, work on it for a month or whatever, start implementing stuff, and then just kind of go away, how can we build a community of entrepreneurs that know each other, keep each other accountable, and you know, go to the same conferences and hang out and like build an actual community of people trying to build their business? And the best way to do those two things, avoiding like having to launch things and make new products... And, you know, growing a community was to make it a monthly thing that people were paying to be a part of. It's it's tough to do business without recurring revenue, isn't it? Yeah, and that's another thing. Recurring revenue is definitely different than, you know, having to launch and then budget your money through the next uh, until the next launch or continue to have sales going every month. Um, it's just a different business model to have. So what were you doing prior to Fizzle? What what were some of the other businesses that you were uh, involved with? So I worked at the Boeing company. Uh, I worked in finance there, and I... You was, mean the company that builds airplanes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, finance? Up in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. And mm-hmm. so I spent a little over three years there after college working in a cubicle, doing the typical Monday through Friday thing while I was also going to night school and getting my MBA. And then after... 
I'd worked at Boeing for a while. And after I got my MBA, I was trying to think of like, okay, what's the next career move I'm going to make? And I did try to do some things. I started doing some web design on the side. I started making an app with some of my friends that fell through. I so how, how did that web design thing work? Did you like go out and try to get some clients, or you put a website up and say, "I'm I'm Caleb, the web designer"? No, it was how long more did like that referrals last? of people mm-hmm. that I knew, either from college or from internships or things like that, mainly through just referrals only at that point, because I was still just how, doing it on the side, so I didn't have. And how many website. websites built approximately? You built uh, maybe five or so before I felt mm-hmm. like I didn't want to do design as my full-time thing. So it was just uh, the the whole prospect of building websites for others just didn't appeal to you or No, and I, and I felt like it wasn't it wasn't my expertise really. Um okay. I felt like it it felt like something I could do but it didn't really feel like something that I was, you know, spending my free time learning design stuff and stuff like that. Okay, so it w- you weren't really passionate about that thing? Yeah, you could use the word passionate or inspired, or I didn't really care okay. too much about okay. that at that time. I mean, that's uh, the reason I'm asking is I think people, sometimes they, they grab onto things and they try it, and then they just stick with it because it's comfortable, mm-hmm. you know? But uh, but you did the other thing. You said, you know, this is, I'm tr- I tried it, but it's not not it for me, you know, and I'm just going to try something else. So Right, and it's hard to like really go cool. into something and like in the back of your mind, you know, like you're probably going to quit. Like, mm-hmm. so it's like whenever I tried something, I like tried it really hard and I thought, okay, is this the thing I can be doing long term? I wasn't just like try, I wasn't just trying to like do five to ten things because then after I do five to ten things, I'll land on the one that's, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. I've just always mm-hmm. been someone that's like to try new things. I get excited about learning new things. Mm-hmm. getting new skills, developing new skills, picking up new hobbies, stuff like that. And then eventually ones that you really like or end up getting really good at are just the ones that stick. So what happened after uh, you said, you know, this website thing is just not for me? What did you try next? I mean, I tried, like I said, to make an app with some of my friends, um, just like a video game app for mm-hmm. mobile or consoles and stuff. And we had like a few meetings and we had some ideas and people were working on stuff for a while. But that was kind of hard because we had one person that knew all like the coding part. And then that Mm -hmm. person went on and ended up getting a job doing that full time. So he didn't really feel like he needed to do it on the side anymore. And so we just didn't have expertise to actually do what we wanted to do. And so that only lasted about a month. And then I switched gears into uh, doing blogging. And that kind of led me down this path of eventually working with Fizzle. What were you blogging about initially? I started blogging about personal finance uh, on a site mm-hmm. called pocketchanged.com, okay. which I've sent since like sunset, and that just redirects to my current site, and all the articles are still there, but uh, I don't talk about personal finance anymore. So that was the first thing I blogged about. And how long were you blogging about personal finance? Uh, probably 9 to 12 months, and then I kind of I kind of was in the, okay, personal finance is how you can create the life you want. So it kind of turned it into like an entrepreneurship lifestyle design blog for a mm-hmm. while too after that for about another year or so until more recently when now I talk on my personal site about video stuff. 
Okay, so let's talk about you know the when you started out to blog and uh, was it for to be a business or was it just uh, something like a hobby that you really enjoyed to do? Were you thinking about it as a business or not? Yeah, like deep down, I was hoping it would be a business. I I mm-hmm. didn't really know the exact ways I was going to make it a business at first. I was like trying different things, like trying to sell affiliate things and stuff like that, but I didn't really know how to do it online. Really, I was just kind of starting out writing, trying to grow an audience and really just trying to get connected with other people that were doing cool stuff online. And so, so that was my main goal really. So how far did you get in that nine to 12 months of blogging about personal finance in terms of visitors and signups and, you know, a following, how, how far did you get? I'm trying to remember the exact stats. I mean, few hundred subscribers after, you know, nine months or so before I made a pivot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think my biggest months were probably somewhere around four to 5,000 visitors or something like that. Okay. And what were you thinking about that? I mean, what those numbers told you, was it, were you happy with it or you said, well, you know, it's a good start or you said, wow, this is never going to go anywhere. Well, I, I tried to just chart my progress from day one instead of to just look at like what my traffic was and what my audience size was and compare that to people that had already been doing this for a long time or even if they hadn't been doing it for a long time, had just a bigger audience and bigger list and stuff like that. I was trying to just track my progress against myself. And that mm-hmm. was one of the biggest things that was hard for me to do at the beginning, but I'm glad that I started just as long as I can keep improving whatever I have it's more important than like comparing myself to someone else that's been doing this longer or has other reasons why their audience is bigger. And then, so th- during the first year or so blogging, what, what were you doing to, to get traction and to, to, to build a following? I mean, I was doing a lot of connecting with people on their blogs. So doing a lot of commenting, a lot of responding to them on social media, when I would go to conferences, I would connect with people there. I was in a few mastermind groups of people that helped promote my stuff. Um, what else was there? I mean, those were kind of the main things. It was just like mm-hmm. figuring out who in my industry was doing cool stuff and was, you know, approachable and wasn't so far ahead of me that they like that it was like a mutual relationship. So it was like other people that were either in the personal finance niche or were in other niches, but like had been doing blogging for about the same amount of time as me. So we could like talk about like what the things we were working on, what we were struggling with and help each other out. And then, so it took you about another year or so after to transition into the business advice. Um, I don't want to call it niche, but, but area, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I was, I talked about personal finance mainly for those first nine months. And then I transitioned into talking about you know, entrepreneurship, working for yourself, working for like a small team. And that was because about nine months in, I, I left my job at Boeing to start working with Corbett on uh, what was then called Think Traffic, which eventually then became Fizzle. Okay. So it just, it was more of your interest at that point and it was just a natural progression, so to speak, for you to to go into that. Okay. So, when uh i mean you mentioned you have a blog on on fizzle uh among other things but and uh you know 
broadcasts and all, and all that. But how do you how do you determine like even today how do you determine what you're going to blog about and and what a podcast is going to be about for example? Well, we have tons of ideas from either just sitting down and like listing a bunch of stuff that has come to mind or it's basically based on like something that's currently going on. So if if we're focusing on something in our business that we'd have a lot of examples to show or share, like then we'll do that sort of thing. Or it's tied around like something we just did. So when we all went to the same conference, the four of us at Fizzle each wrote a post like in like looking back at the conference and like our takeaways from it. So it's a combination of figuring out all the kinds of things we could talk about and slowly working your way through those things, as well as just taking things you're inspired about and things you're currently thinking about or working on and having that be a, a podcast or a blog post or a course inside a fizzle. So what types of blog posts seem to be the most popular with, with your readers? It's, it's interesting. There's kind of two. One is like extremely detailed, like how to do something. Step by step, yeah. you know, do step one, two, three, four, and download this and install that right, type of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, actually, there's kind of three. Another one is like behind the scenes stuff. So it's like, how do we do something? So like, what tools do we use? Which software do we use? How do we use it? Why do we choose that versus other stuff? That's helpful. Um, and then the third one is just like, it's it's like not business advice. It's more like the psychology of running a business. So it's like putting putting your heart into the thing and like why you're doing business as opposed to like how to do business. So that one, those things really resonate with our audience. And we've done enough of those things over the years that people come to expect that kind of angle into building a business from us. And so that's kind of how we position ourselves away from just doing strictly how to stuff and tactic stuff. So when you when you write a blog post, do you guys look at the number of words and, and you know how long and detailed uh, you want a post to be, or it's pretty much you know whatever whatever the topic is, and and you know it, it, it all is you know varies so to speak. Yeah, we don't really concern ourselves too much with like the word count or anything like that. Like we try to make it digestible so if it's super long then we make sure to you know not have it be like huge chunks of text and like we try to break it up and make it more conversational for people that are reading stuff on the web as well as you know adding images to things that are super long to break them up or quotes or what have you but we don't really we're not like oh this word or this post needs 200 more words because if you're just going to add stuff to you know get a word count it doesn't make sense to do so so we have some posts that are super long, like 5,000 words, and then we have posts that are like a few hundred words or 500 words, and it just depends on the topic. Okay, okay. Yeah, because, I mean, I talk with some bloggers and say, you know, we want every post to be at least 1,500 words because we looked at our stats and they seem to be more popular and all that other stuff. So, you know, that's kind of their internal thing, that they're not going to put like a 700-word post in there no matter what. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what about podcasts? Are, are podcasts, in terms of themes of the podcast that you come up with, is it the same as, as it would be for a blog post? Well, for a while we actually had like monthly themes around both our blog and our podcast. 
So like, for example, January, I think was a product theme. So like all four episodes of the podcast had to do with product stuff. Uh, everything on the blog had to do with like launching a product or making more sales with a current product, stuff like that. The next month we did audience, I think. And then the month after that was all money related things. So like talking about accounting and taxes and pricing and stuff like that. Um, so for a while we had themes around each month and then we decided to take a break from that and have it more just uh, fluid about what we want to talk about. But for the podcast, we do obviously have to like collaborate a little bit because we all have to come prepared to talk about something because there's three of us on it. So, um, it's a little less spontaneous than one of us sitting down and writing a post about something for the week, but it's still fairly spontaneous because it's just like when we're about to record, we'll look at the list of ideas we have or any other just like current things we're thinking about or working through and pick and choose from those. And have you found a sweet spot or have you experimented with how long a podcast should be? We haven't really experimented with it because ours is very conversational with three of us on it. Sometimes we have guests just on for short periods and then we discuss kind of what they talked about. Um, We've kind of stuck to about the hour uh, length for our podcast, mm -hmm. and that was a conscious decision from the beginning, and we've just kind of stuck to about that time frame. Um, I personally in the past had podcasts that were more like 25 to 45 minutes, and those were more interview style, and that was you know mainly to honor the time of the guest to not go for a really long time. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But when it's the three of us talking, we can go for an hour, and sometimes we record for longer than that, and maybe cut out tangents that we go on and stuff like that to make it a little more polished. So let's talk about the quality of the content. I think, you know, we all want our, our content to be great. What do you think makes great content or epic content as, as you know, as the, the, you know, people like to say? I think it's that you put in more time on it than the average person does. I think that people get a little too caught up in how often they publish something. So, oh, I have to do something twice this week. And so they put out two mediocre pieces of content instead of, you know, maybe once every two weeks, they put four times as much work into one piece of content that has way more detail in it, way better stories, spend better time structuring it, maybe more time getting the proper images or thinking of the headline and just putting in more time than the average person into something. Because honestly, there's enough there's enough mediocre stuff on the internet that other people can go and read, but you want your audience to, when they get an email from you or when they hear in social media or whatever, that you have a new post, like they expect for it to be great. And it's very easy for you to put out something mediocre and for them to read it and say, I'm never going to read anything from these people again. So what about, can you think of an example of an epic post that, that you have read that it's still with you and you remember it? And what made that post or content epic? Yeah, so someone that does this really, really well, actually, is Neil Patel. Um, almost, well, not almost every post. He does have posts that aren't like super long guides and stuff like that. But he has posts that are like full-on guides, maybe tens of thousands of words. And he puts tons of work into them and has people work on them for a really, really long time. And the one that I remember the most is on Quicksprout, which is uh, the blog that he writes on. He has 
advanced guide to SEO. Um, and that guide basically taught me how SEO worked and it's been updated and refreshed and continually has new like design work on it and new things as like Google algorithms change and stuff like that. But it was like, it was like a paid course, but it was all free and it's this really in-depth guide with images and tutorial style stuff. And, you know, he didn't just sit down an afternoon and make this thing. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so now that uh, we brought up SEO, let's talk about traffic and driving traffic to to uh, to fizzle. What 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 is working for you guys? Uh, a little bit of just having the right connections in like your industry. I like I feel like we know we know a lot of the people that have audiences that are similar to what we're looking for for our audience. And so just organically, when we write something or have someone on as a guest to write on our blog or feature them in the podcast or something like that, and they share it to their audience, that's a good way for us to you know, get more traffic or get more subscribers or things like that. That's typically something that people don't like to, to like promote as like a strategy because it's a long-term mm-hmm. strategy of you know just making friends online that do the kind of stuff you do and you could view them as competitors or you could just view them as peers and you guys can help each other by, you know, sharing audiences and sharing each other's stuff with their audiences as well. So that's one. Uh, what else? I mean, we don't focus too much on search engine stuff. We don't spend a lot of time in analytics figuring out what people are finding through search and stuff like that. But occasionally there will be posts that, if they are getting a lot of search traffic, we might tweak them a little bit to uh, like optimize subscribe rates or encourage them to check out other things that we do to try to turn them into a fan from like just like a casual visitor. Uh, we we spend a decent amount of time crafting headlines occasionally to because we know how important those are for people checking stuff out on social media. So like just in our internal chat system, we'll say, hey, what do you think of this headline for this post or this podcast that's coming out? And we give feedback on those. So a combination of, you know, growing your network of peers and knowing what is getting search traffic on your site and tweaking those a little bit. And then the last one is, you know, focusing on the headline and the first little bit of whatever you create to catch people and have them actually get through the end of it. Okay. So what about content marketing? Is there is there a role for content marketing in your uh, marketing strategy? I mean, yeah, that's how people find out about Fizzle and end up becoming members is because they listen to the podcast, they read our blog, they end up on our email list, and then they hear about what Fizzle is, you know, passively as opposed to we're actively pitching people in ads or where have you on the internet to get them to join. So content marketing as a phrase would be the main reason why we end up getting more more customers to join Fizzle. And then the next would be either internal member referrals or like just our friends talking about what Fizzle is. So let's talk about Fizzle as a membership site. How did you decide to to make Fizzle a membership site? You, you talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, but uh, it's it's kind of a big challenge, isn't it, uh, to to build a membership site for other reasons? So you know, was it a, a decision that all of you made, or one of you brought up and just kind of sold the the others on it? And you know, 
how, how, what was that process like? Well, we'd had a combination of kind of membership site style uh, products in the past. So instead of just like a PDF ebook or something like that, it was maybe a 13-week course on how to start your blog. And so there were people in the comments there, and it was all built on a membership site that people logged into. And then Traffic School, which was another course that we had, that was, you know, 100, 125 people all starting at the same time, logging into a membership site, having a little forum there, but then it would eventually die down with energy as people went on and kept running their businesses. So we had membership site kind of products that had just a one-time fee before. And so we basically looked at those and said, okay, what's missing in those that could help grow an actual community of people and how could we continue to grow a library of courses for people. And so we basically looked at what was not good about the other membership site products we had and then looked at how we can make it to encourage people to stick around and to continue to pay us each month to, to serve them and make courses for them and to grow the community. So what are some of the, the challenges of, of building a membership site? Um, maybe some of the biggest challenge, uh, one or two of the biggest challenges that you were faced with in the last couple of years. Well, obviously there's the technical piece and there's always you have to figure out what membership plugin you want to use for something on WordPress. and What are you using? Uh, we use Paid Memberships Pro. Uh, we've also used S2 Member in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that are happy with Wishlist Member. Um, so there's a lot of different ones out there. You just kind of have to figure out which one has features that you want. And we went with Paid Memberships Pro because we wanted to use Stripe uh, as our payment processor instead of something like PayPal. Um, so choosing the technical stuff of like what forum software you're going to use and stuff like that is is challenging. But I think honestly people just use that as a roadblock. You should just use, ask your friends or see what someone else uses and uses whatever they're using. Um, the other biggest part is if you're going to do a monthly membership, every month that someone leaves, you need to replace them and then another person if you want to continue to grow this thing and you want to continue to have the community get larger and to grow your bottom line each month. So you have to continually be thinking of ways that you're going to introduce this this membership service or site that you have to new people as well as you have to work hard to get people that actually do find it to stick around because that's how you're going to continually earn their business basically. So it puts the pressure on to keep making it better as opposed to when you launch a product and someone pays you once and you might never hear from them ever again. But if you have to continually win their business because they are paying you every single month, then you have to keep adding new stuff or interacting with them in one way or another for them to continue to pay. Have you experimented with yearly membership as opposed to monthly? Yeah, actually, you can join Fizzle as a yearly member, um, and it's and, cheaper. Like you save a few months. And are you looking at those? Like, do those? Is there a, a longer retention with people that sign up yearly as opposed to monthly? Well, they—I mean—they've at least paid for a year, so yeah, you would see them whether or not they in the next year renew or not, and so. You can compare that versus, and you can also look at in our stats how often people have used it. How many times have they logged in? Did they not log in for a while? So we like have all that data. And so, yeah, we know that people that do sign up for a year are more committed financially. And so they choose to stick around and they end up actually being more active that way. Yeah, because I've, I've owned a business that was a membership business. It was offline. And I found that people that would pay 
the yearly upfront were a lot more committed than people would pay monthly, even though monthly costs a lot more money mm-hmm. <laughs> than mm-hmm. uh, than the yearly membership fees. So that, that was kind of interesting. How many members does Fizzle have? Uh, currently around 1,200 to 1,300. Well, and how long did it take you to grow to that number? Uh, well, we've been doing it for almost two years now. We're about to have our two-year anniversary when we launched it. I mean, that's a very impressive number <laughs> to have 1,200 members in a couple of years. Um, what do you think is the secret? I don't, I don't know if there's really a secret. I mean, we had been or we had been blogging for about four years at least, maybe five years of growing an audience with you know, a five-figure email list. We had over like 1,000-plus previous customers of other products and stuff that had bought from us, so we had that kind of trust. And we didn't just open the doors one day and have 1,200 people. We launched it as an alpha version where there was only a few courses in there with a discounted rate to 150 people. And then eight weeks later, we opened it again for another couple hundred people in a beta launch. And then a little bit after that, we opened it to the public. And at that point, we had somewhere around four or 500 people. And then since then, like a year and a half or so, it was, you know, putting putting a product that was we were selling externally inside of Fizzle so that that was the only way to get it was to join Fizzle. Then we continued to launch more courses that, you know, encouraged people to buy and did some public promotion around that just on our blog. Um, so it's been a combination of blogging every week, podcasting every week, making new courses that go inside of Fizzle, doing new founder stories inside of Fizzle. Uh, growing the community so that they're recommending that other people join it, um, being active in the forums and through support email to help people out. So it's not just one simple thing. It's like all the things we've been doing over the last couple of years that have helped it helped it grow to where it is now. And are there any other ways you monetize Fizzle at this point uh, on top of the membership? No, right Please? now, right now the main way is just people paying us monthly. We've decided to not do heavy affiliate promotions or anything like that. We're we don't take on big consulting work or coaching work or anything like that. Um, we don't. Is it hard to turn those things down, those offers down? Yeah, because I think or you, the see, potential I think you for the immediate, it? you might see the immediate financial return that you can get from those things. Um, but you know, when you're focused and committed to build, building a single thing, there's something to be said about that as well. And you know, we probably wouldn't have 1,200 members if we had been doing a bunch of consulting or a bunch of freelance stuff for other businesses and stuff like that. So who knows where we'd be if we were, you know, dividing our energy that way. You know, if you look at statistics, um, about 50% of businesses fail just in the first few years of being in business. Um, why do you think so many businesses fail? And, you know, especially, I mean, this is right up your alley and, and I'd love to get your input on that. Well, I think it's obviously a combination of things. I think, number one, people don't understand how hard it is to run a business. I think that people also choose something that maybe isn't the best business for them. And so a lot of reasons why that business fails is because they get excited about something else and they move on instead of staying committed to the thing. And so, I mean, you have to you have to not only be committed to something, but you have to like figure out the best business model for actually building something. And I think a lot of people just get burned out before 
their business is profitable because a lot of businesses take a long time to become profitable. And so people either aren't committed enough or don't have the financial ability to stick with something long enough. And so they end up quitting. It's funny because I interviewed some multi-million dollar uh, bloggers and uh, you know it's a common theme that the first couple of years not much has been happening they just kept working and writing and making connections and networking and it's just a long time for a lot of people uh, you know they 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 you know and I, I think that a lot of times I, I, and I'm I'm asking you I'm not making a statement mm-hmm. but do you think it's because they just don't you know they don't see the results and they just give up because they think it's it's just hopeless not because they're like lazy or anything they just don't see results that would keep them going right and so when you're when you're in that stage of when you know the finances aren't the thing that are actually happening you have to find other things to track that will motivate you and you have to be able to look forward enough to know that you're going to get to a point where it is financially going to work out but you have to also the whole time be thinking, okay, how is this going to pay me? Like, how mm-hmm. is this business going to work? Yeah. Um, I just have a couple of more questions. I know we're just a few minutes over 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you have time for a couple of more questions? Yeah, go for it. Uh, what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs or people that are starting a business? I think that they probably waste too much time doing research and actually – not just spending time doing stuff and using that as the research. So instead of spending weeks or whatever, figuring out what kind of, you know, certain software to use or a plugin or whatever about something, just like getting a few of them and trying them out and seeing which works the best. I think that people spend too much time like trying to make decisions instead of actually just doing stuff and seeing what comes out of it. So taking action. Yeah. Just having a bias action, even action, it- yeah. Great. Now, if if uh, someone came to you, maybe if somebody from your family or a, or a friend, and they saw your success in business and say, you know, I want to be a successful entrepreneur, what what is the one thing that you would teach that person? I mean, it takes many things to succeed, but what what would be the, like the first thing you would want this person to know about owning a business? Well, I think the first thing that someone needs to know is that basically they can they can do it. They can actually build a business. They can actually learn the things that they need to know to build a business, learn the skills, use the different tools they need to, to grow their business. I think that a lot of people just write it off that they can't do something. And so if you can get out of your head that if somebody has done it before, then you can probably do it too. And if nobody's done it before, then you can be the first. Like if you can have that mentality towards building a business and getting started, then you're going to be further ahead than most people are. That's great, uh, Caleb. I, I so much appreciate that you uh, came on uh, Success Harbor today and talk about your uh, business background. How can people reach out to you or find out more about um, uh, Fizzle? So you can find more about Fizzle at F-I-Z-Z-L-E dot C-O. Uh, you can find the blog there, the podcast, and you can find a membership site. And you can read more about me and what I do at CalebW.com. That's C-A-L-E-B-W dot com. So everybody out there, check out fizzle.co and Caleb. Thank you so much, and I wish you and your partners much success uh, in the next two years or five years with Fizzle. Thank you, George. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye, everyone.